0: Y'all can grab a seat. Welcome to RUF. Oh, oh, there we go. Now we're cooking. Welcome to RUF. Uh, if I've not had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Sammy. I'm the campus minister. I always say here if it feels like I'm visiting, but I think you know by now. Although if you're new, you don't know that, but hello, Welcome. What we're doing this uh, until spring break is we're going through a series we're calling How the Gospel Changes College, and we're using the I Am Statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. And tonight we come to John 14, where Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to just jump in and read our passage first, and then we're going to talk about how the gospel changes justification. That's a big, fancy word that in human terms means uh, when you know and feel like you're enough, when you know and feel your worth. And in theological terms, it means your acceptance before God the Father, your acceptance before God himself. So that's what we're looking at tonight, how the gospel, specifically what Jesus says about himself, changes that for us. So jumping in, John 14, we're reading verses 1 to 7. Send your hand out if you want to follow along. <clears throat> Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let me pray for us, and we're going to dive in to what I want to talk about tonight. Let's pray first. Our Lord, we thank you for these I am statements that you are a God who has revealed yourself to us. And Lord, we need it. We need to hear that word that you are the only God we've ever heard of that loves sinners. We need to hear that word. That you are the only God we've ever heard of who heard of, who delights over broken and bruised and battered people like us. And Lord, I pray that you would let the truth of the gospel, especially thinking about uh, this great um, biblical doctrine called justification, that you really would, whether we've heard it before, would you renew us in your joy uh, in the ways that you so freely love us? And Lord, maybe if we've never heard it before, would you change our lives by it? by the good news of your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray these things, Father, in your name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Lady Gaga uh, was about to sell out. <laughs> yeah, <it's> just... <laughs> we, can go, we can go there. Uh, she had This was, I think, the Born This Way tour. HBO did a little special about it, and it was this really vulnerable moment. She had sold out, I think, at least two or three nights before Madison at Madison Square Garden. And there was this really vulnerable moment that when I think about justification, I always think about. Where she says, she starts crying. She's about to go on stage to start, you know, to do her concert. And she starts crying. And she says this, I wrote it down. She said, I just sometimes uh, feel like a loser still, you know. It's crazy because it's like we're at the garden. But I still sometimes feel like that loser kid in high school. And I just got to pick my crap up, pick myself up. And I have to tell myself I'm a superstar every morning so I can get through this day. For me, it was a poignant moment of even when we get the thing that we think is going to make us feel enough, it most often doesn't. And I want to try to bring it home a little bit to getting at the feeling of justification that we're talking about. The way I want to do it is to play what I'm just going to call a polite game of never have I ever. Uh, Don't raise your hand. That would be amazing if you did, but don't. Just in your mentally If you've ever felt this way mentally, raise your hand. Have you ever hated yourself? Have you ever felt like maybe something wasn't quite right with you? Have you ever wished you were someone else? Have you ever resolved to be a better person, start going to church, start praying, start reading your Bible, start exercising, start eating better, start counseling? Have you ever wanted to leave your high school self behind? Have you you ever wished you still had the confidence of your high school self? Have you ever heard the words of Dean Martin Rat Pack, you're nobody till somebody loves you and felt that way about yourself? Have you ever thought if you were just a little bit skinnier or a little bit bigger or a little bit taller or a little bit shorter, things would be better? Have you ever bragged about your grades or your exercise routine or your spiritual resume because deep down you think people have to have a reason to love you? Have you ever felt like if you could just be accepted by this person or that group of people, then maybe then you could know you're okay? Have you ever gotten to the end of a day, realized you didn't even make it through half of your checklist, and gone to bed feeling like a lazy failure? If you've answered yes in your mind to any of these, we're talking about justification or longing to be justified for someone to tell us that we're okay. Uh, the way that George Bernard Shaw, the old playwright, used to say, he, he said it, is justify your existence or perish. Uh, The way that, I love the way that David Zoss says it, listen to the way he says it. He says, listen carefully and you'll hear that word enough everywhere, especially when it comes to the anxiety, loneliness, exhaustion, and division that plague our moment to such tragic proportions. You'll hear about people scrambling to be successful enough, happy enough, thin enough, wealthy enough, influential enough, desired enough, charitable enough, woke enough, good enough, We believe instinctively that were we to reach some benchmark in our minds, then value, vindication, and love would be ours. That if we got enough, we would be enough. And what I want you to see in Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, is he's got a radically radically different message for you and me. And it's really good news because he says to us, he's enough for us. And that through him, we have forever, eternally, a justification, a status before God, loved forever. And the words of Psalm 32, loved with shouts of deliverance by nothing that we've done other than collapsing upon the Lord Jesus in faith and repentance and trust. And so the way I want to do it is to think about it like this. I want to think about Jesus as the way of justification. Jesus is the truth of justification and then the life of justification that ensues as we're in him. So first, the way of justification. Now here, a little bit of context. Stay with me. Most religions agree that something is wrong with man and that in order to be right with ourselves, with our fellow neighbors, with God, that we must do something about it. So just track with me. Buddhism. Buddhism says the problem is desire and to make ourselves right, we must follow the eightfold path and overcome desire to the point of enlightenment. Hinduism. Hinduism says that the problem is attachment, which leads to bad karma, and we must be reincarnated again and again until we finally achieve a life of detachment, which leads to good karma, one that transcends suffering and achieves moksha, which is union with the internal soul. Islam says that the problem is infidelity. And that we have been unfaithful to Allah. And the good news is that he has mercy, but it's only for those who prove themselves, who prove ourselves faithful to him as we follow the five pillars. Or even think about secularism. It says the problem is us. (laughs) Some of us is religion. All this injustice in the name of God. All this hypocrisy. Leave it behind. Pursue the secular good for yourself, for your neighbor. In other words, don't be a religious a-hole. Just be a decent person. Every single one says something is wrong with us and we have to do something about it. We have to get enlightened, follow the pillars, shed our religious a-wholeness. Just do something to make yourself a better person. It's Buddha's reported dying words where he said, strive without ceasing. Strive without ceasing. But this is where Jesus, therefore Christianity... It's just super different. Could not be more different because what does Jesus say? I want you to, this is really when you catch this. He doesn't say, let me show you the way. Let me show you the truth. Let me show you the life. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Trust in me. In other words, it's not even following the way of Jesus, which we do once we belong to him, that makes us perfectly acceptable to God the Father, but simply trusting in Jesus, who he is to us, what he's done for us, just trusting in faith, bringing nothing but that. And that is the way to perfect acceptance by God and with God the Father. It's Jesus' parable in Luke 18. You know the parable? The Pharisee and the tax collector where the Pharisee is standing out in very public space and he's, he's praying, but what he's praying is all the good stuff he's doing, and then he thanks God that he's not like other men. And then Jesus says there was a tax collector off in the corner, he could not even look to heaven, and all he did was beat his chest and say, God have mercy on me a sinner. And Jesus says, this would have blown our minds if we had listened to Jesus say this, that guy went unjustified. The tax collector. The guy who needed, knew his need of salvation, knew his need of Jesus. It's John Newton at the end of his life where he's on his deathbed reportedly. And he says this, Although know my memory is fading. I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. If you're a Mandalorian person, we would say this is the way. <laughs> this is the way. It's, looking to Jesus, knowing ourselves to be sinners, looking to Him as the great Savior. So the way of justification, but then we move to the truth of justification, because what Jesus is telling us is there are only two ways to do justification. Either justify yourself, or we trust Jesus as our justification. His perfect life for our sinful life. His death for the death that I deserve and you deserve You're either trusting, we could say like this, in your way, your truth, your life, or trusting in Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. If the last words of Buddha were strive without ceasing, do you remember what the last words of Jesus were? From the cross, he cries, it is finished. What he's saying is he's done everything that we need to be justified. In his name, he's lived the righteous life that you and I can't live, and he's died our death and our place for our sins. Another way we could say it is all the religions say, you're not okay, and it's not okay. Do something about it. Strive without ceasing. But Jesus says, you're not okay, and it's okay. Because that's why I've come. And Jesus, we could say like this: became not okay that you and I might become okay on the cross. When He said it is finished, all that's left for you and me to do is to receive and believe this good news about Him. I love the way that one or a pastor will say it. He'll say it like this: Don't just do something; stand there and trust not in yourself but in Jesus for your justification. You could never do enough to make yourself okay. But Jesus did everything to make you okay. His life for yours, his death for yours. I love the way that Horatius Bonner wrote it. He said, on a death I did not die, and on a life I did not live, I stake my entire eternity. Let me try to illustrate this two ways. One, Mark Twain wrote a little book called The Prince and the Pauper. Read it some years ago. It's a simple story with a great twist. Here's how it goes. A pauper, think beggar, finds himself in the palace gates And the next thing you know, the prince himself has invited him inside. The pauper, the beggar, of course, is dressed in these filthy rags, and he's admiring the prince's wardrobe. And the prince, being this kind and generous prince, offers to trade places to to swap clothes with him that the beggar might know what it feels like, the pauper might know what it feels like to wear these princely garments. And at this very moment, as they've traded clothes, the palace guards come in, and they mistake the prince for the pauper, and they kick, them, they kick out the pauper on the streets, and the pauper and the prince have traded places. They've traded identities. And as the story unfolds, the pauper finds himself feasting like a prince, and the prince finds himself suffering the, the poverty and abuse that the pauper himself knew. And I'll never forget reading it and thinking, Jesus. Because at the cross, Jesus trades identities with you and me, The prince truly becomes the pauper. The the righteous one becomes a sinner. He takes on the filthy rags of our sin, my sin, your sin, dies naked and ashamed on the cursed cross. Why? That you and I might become children of the king with a fresh pair of clothes that rightly belong to him, but he's freely given to us. I love the way that one, our old pastor used to like to say it, that if you belong to Jesus, you were draped about with the robes of righteousness the clothing and the garments of grace of the Lord Jesus. You have a new identity. You are now a child of the King. Let me try it a different way. Imagine this. Just, Just roll with me here. Imagine there's a book being written, but it's your whole life. Every single thing you've ever done, every single thing you've ever thought, all of it written down from birth to this very moment. Toddler years, the mean tweens teenage years college years for me lots from there to 42 the title and the cover of this book is simply your name uh, if you're like me i'd be like no no i'm gonna burn this place to the ground before i let you read that book now imagine there's another book and it's about the life of jesus every kind word he ever spoke every life-giving action, every miracle, all of it recorded from his birth in Bethlehem to his death in Jerusalem. John himself said if someone were to write down every good thing that Jesus ever did, there's not a library in the world that could hold the amount of volumes that could be written. It's a huge book, and the title in that cover simply reads Jesus Christ. Now imagine there's a publisher who wants to publish both. Yours, Pure Horror, Jesus' pure beauty. And imagine as it goes to the floor of the printing press, the covers of the books get switched. And on your story goes Jesus' name. And on his story goes your name. So when people open Jesus' book, think with me for a second. What do they find? They find out about all the horrible things he did in his life. All the times he looked at porn, all the times he took things too far, the times he got drunk or high and made some bad decisions the times he gossiped about his best friends, the times he was utterly selfish, the times he bragged about himself, the times he used words to cut down others and make himself feel better, the times he was proud that he'd never cussed and read his Bible every single day and somehow magically worked that into conversation. And when people open your book, you've healed the blind. You've fed the 5,000. You've walked on water you turned water into wine. You've always only ever loved everyone with a perfect love. And this is justification. This is the truth of it. This is what theologians call the beautiful exchange. Jesus giving us his righteous life and taking our dreadful sins to the cross. The beautiful truth about justification is this is exactly what's happened. You are in Christ which means when the Father looks upon you, he sees his Son. It means he loves you as he loves his Son. Jesus, we could say it like this, became the most horrible sinner. That's what the cross was, that you and I might become perfect children of God. So the way of justification, the truth of justification, and think with me for a second about the life of justification. What I mean is how it changes things, and specifically it changes three massive areas of relationship. It changes our relationship with God, it changes our relationship with one another, and it changes our relationship with ourself. Track with me how it changes things. If you believe that, if you know that, what does it change? Well, first, it changes your relationship with God. We say it like this. Justification changes the reason you obey God. You no longer obey him to be accepted. You obey him because you've already been radically accepted just as you are. And therefore, you can begin to actually enjoy him. His love for you isn't based on your performance. It's based on the performance of of Jesus. Justification changes the way that you pray. Prayer goes from coming home to an angry father who harshly asks, where have you been? To coming home to a father who is awkward that might feel for us sometimes is so glad that we're there that he sings over us like we're still his favorite newborn. It frees us justification from our need to prove ourselves to God. He's already purchased you. You can stop selling yourself. You can stop trying to give him reasons to love you. He already does. He loves you with an undying love, and there's nothing, nothing, nothing you can do to change that. Uh, I love Jared Wilson's a guy, writer, speaker, author. He used this illustration one time that was so powerful to me. He talked about the play Annie, or the movie Annie, which is well before y'all's time. But if you know the story, or Lord Orphan Annie, if you know Jay-Z's Hard Knock Life, that's from that uh, play. And there's this moment where Annie's been uh, adopted by Daddy Warbucks, this billionaire, and there's this beautiful moment that happens where uh, she comes to his house, his mansion, for the first time. And the hostess of the house, as Annie comes, she brings her bags, she takes them, and the hostess looks at Annie and says, Annie, what would you like to do today? And Annie, never having known the freeness of the kind of love we're talking about, says, well, she kind of looks down, she says, well, I guess I'll start with sweeping the floors and then mopping them and then I'll move on to cleaning the windows and the hostess says, no, no, no. That's all taken care of. What I mean is, how do you want to come and enjoy your father's house today? Justification invites us into that but it also changes our relationship with others. Justification frees us from constant comparison because you've stopped comparing yourself to people you can actually start to enjoy them now. They're no longer a threat to your enoughness. You can be genuinely happy when you find out you've got a boyfriend, a girlfriend. That's awesome. Versus, I need one. (laughs) That's how I got into my first relationship, to be honest. My best friend got a girlfriend. I was like, well, I need a girlfriend. And I got one. And it was a, well. uh, (laughs) But it also kills pride. Justification kills pride. Because you you stop, in the words of C.S. Lewis, who wrote the best thing on pride in mere Christianity ever written, you stop looking down on everyone. Because in your heart, you know that you're know that you just as bad as anyone. The pedophile, the child abuser, the drunk, frat guy, whoever it is that you compare yourself to by saying, well, at least, like the, like the Pharisee in the parable, at least I'm not like them. And believe me, we all do it. Lots of versions, we all do it. It frees us from that to saying, I love the words of the old Puritan, Robert Murray McShane, who said, in my heart is the seed of every sin. In my heart is to see, listen, I'm way in on the the Murdoch murders, and to watch and think, yeah, allegedly he did it. Yeah, I can get there. I can get there. Um, I love there's an illustration out of Charles Spurgeon's life where reportedly the story goes like this. You just got done preaching. And he's outside with some of his elders and this old lady comes up to him and she says to him, she says, you are the most, Mr. Spurgeon, I want you to know you are the most arrogant, obnoxious, annoying man that I have ever heard of and I wanted to be the one to tell you so. And reportedly Spurgeon looked at one of his elders and kind of laughed and just said, she she doesn't know the half of it. But it changes not just relationship with God, not just relationship with others, but also relationship with yourself. Listen to me for a second. At the very place that you are prone to hate yourself, the Lord Jesus wants you to know how much he loves you, which in turn begins to make you and me hate ourselves less and love him more, even freeing us to begin to be able to laugh at ourselves because we know that even at our worst, God is absolutely crazy about us and has shown us that in Jesus. Justification also frees you to be yourself. God loves you, wants to use you, loves your personality, loves your gifts, gave them to you. You know, I always, I've been in ministry for, (laughs) let me do the math here, 17 years, 17 years, more if you count internships, and let me just tell you how hard it is to be yourself, not just in ministry, in the Christian life, to feel secure, like, yeah, like, God knows, uh, you know, in the words of Beyonce, he knows me and loves me, flaws and all. And he's working, he's sanctifying me, absolutely. But I always think about that scene, Silence of the Lambs. Have you ever seen Silence of the Lambs? I know Carol has, it's one of her favorites. It is, it is a must-watch, it is a very scary film. There's this movie, or there's a scene in the film where uh, Hannibal Lecter, who plays this terrifying cannibal serial killer, Escapes from prison, and the way he does it—and this is a spoiler, but sorry—it's been out for like 40 years now—is um, he cuts out another man's face and puts it on his own? Is it weird for me to say that? Sometimes when I watch that, I'm like, "That's me." <laughs> meaning, I'm not killed. I've not killed another man. I assure you, I've never cut someone's face off. I promise. But meaning, how hard it is to be comfortable in your own skin. And yet, the Lord Jesus loves your skin. He loves you in your own skin. Justification (laughs) frees you in that. And it frees you to stop being so dang hard on yourself. It frees you to stop being so hard on yourself. Not a perfect husband. I was thinking about this. Not even a great husband. I would take a coffee mug that just said, trying to be a good husband. I'd take that. That's a win. But sometimes when Alyssa and I can get into shame spirals and it looks different, my wife Alyssa, we can get into shame spirals in different ways. But sometimes when I'm on my A-game and I'm believing the gospel and I'm being gentle and loving and listening in ways that don't offend her, I'll stop and just ask her a simple question. Do you think Jesus talks about you that way? Do you think Jesus talks about you the way that you and I so often talk about ourselves, especially in a shame spiral? And the good news is no. He doesn't. He is the way and the truth and the life for us. (laughs) He's inviting us into the good news of what he's done for us, who he is to us. I'll close with this. I love how he starts the passage where he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Friends, how easy and often it is for our hearts to be troubled. But think back to last week. Where Jesus, just before he, he meets Martha in her anger, he meets Mary in her sadness. And he's about to go raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. And it says about Jesus, he was troubled. He was troubled in his spirit. And the good news for us tonight is he was troubled that our hearts might not be. That we would know him. That we would stop striving without ceasing. And we, we would hear tonight the Lord Jesus say, you belong to me. It is finished. My love for you is forever. I've done it all. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the good news. We thank you for the good news. I pray that we would receive it as such tonight. Would you bear fruit from it? Would you convert us? Would you lead us to joyful repentance? Would you renew our love for you? Uh, Lord, you alone can do that by your gracious work in us. And we ask for it. We long for it. We need it. And we pray these things for Christ in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing our last hymn with us.